Well, hey, Bible Love listeners, you are joining us on the first week of Advent. Yesterday was the first Sunday of Advent. This will come out during the first week of Advent. And I'm, I think we did this last year, Alan, um, and I'm glad we're um, doing this tradition again. We thought we would pray all the collects um, for the season of Advent. Um, Advent is a very special time where we should be waiting and be calm. And sometimes that doesn't happen um, because people are all worried about Christmas presents. And um, so I hope this time, we hope this time for you is full of joy and calm and waiting for the um, birth of Jesus Christ. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Almighty God, give us grace, grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, what are so, we talking about today? Yeah, we're wrapping up the book of Esther, doing 8 through 10. And this is, right, Haman is dealt with last week. And now um, all the palace intrigue that was kicked off during Haman's rule is starting to unfold. And so we have um, Mordecai and Queen Esther racing against the clock, right? This is kind of, to me, it's kind of a action adventure movie, right? Like yeah, there's, there's this letter out there. There's this letter out there and this clock is ticking. It's like 24. Do you remember that TV show? Yeah. 24? Yeah. I love like that picture, thing. like that clock ticking and, and they're trying to figure out, all right, everyone in the kingdom knows that on this day, they're going to kill us. And yeah. they're like, Oh, what are we going to do? Gotta so, get some stuff done. Yeah. yeah. And so what happens? They go to the King. The King is not particularly helpful. Um, he's like, I signed this thing and what I signed can't be undone, but I could sign a new thing and you could try to let people know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Mordecai writes these letters and they get them sent out. And hopefully that should be that, but this does not end peacefully. Well, before we get into the not ending peacefully, one thing that kind of struck me, especially in chapter eight, is I think the Jewish people are given a lot of confidence to stand up for themselves and to even fight back for what they know is right, which is their human life. Um, and I'm sure we've seen this in other times, but you know that, and, and this has certainly been a theme in Esther, this courage, um, this bravery, the strength um, for voices to be heard for love to win, for good things to win. And so when I was reading chapter eight, I was like, golly, they're, I think they're just getting really filled with hope and courage 
instead of just taking it and lying down, even though the outcome might not be the way, but sometimes that's okay. Even don't we have to be willing to fight for something, even when we know the outcome might not be what we want it to be. Yeah. I mean, we've had however many books so far of the Jewish people just kind of taking whatever's right. Right. Enslavement, um, exile, all of it. And now the king is kind of saying, stand up for yourself. And, you know, we don't have enough time here to talk about like redemptive violence or or any of that stuff, because there's like lots of, of theological thinking around that. But here's the thing, right? Like their lives are at risk because, you know, the king mistakenly told everyone in the kingdom to kill all the Jews. And now the king trying to, to undo that says, um, what does he say here? Or the scripture says, um, the Jews were to be ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. You know, first off, like this whole time, the only enemy we've known about has been Haman, Haman, however we say that. Mm-hmm. But now we start to learn that like maybe everybody in the kingdom who's not Jewish is their enemy. And instead of sending out these letters where the king's saying, calling it off and just hoping and praying, there's this idea that like, buckle up. Right. And there, but there are also, you know me, I'm always a joy person. Like there's also, like I'm looking at chapter, in chapter eight, verse 15, Mordecai left the palace wearing royal robes of blue and white, a cloak of fine purple linen and a magnificent golden crowns. Then the streets of Suso rang with cheers and joyful shouts. For the Jews, there was a joy and relief, happiness and a sense of victory. And even if that is just for a short time, Alan, I think we have to capture those moments of joy and happiness. Um, I'm walking with a parishioner right now who's dying, and um, I've been so privileged to just, yeah, there's a lot of sadness, but there's also, it's really holy and joyful, too, because we're getting to spend such quality time with this person that we love so much. And I, I think we can quickly just move to the bad and we forget even there's a few there's a few moments of joy and hope. And especially in the season of Advent, we've got to find that. Um, and, and so good for them for showing that their voice, but also an example that they were happy for a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. And right. Like. It's what we do as human beings, like even in the face of of war and threats of war, we find those, right? Think about um, Armistice Day. Think about when the troops come home, right? Like untold horrors have happened on one side of it, but like there's rejoicing in freedom. There's rejoicing in reunion. There's rejoicing in feeling secure in that. And so how do we find those? Season of Advent's a perfect example, right? Like, we're not just waiting for baby Jesus to be born, right? We're waiting for the end of the world. And how do we find joy in the midst of that? Because, right, like our colic today, um, John the Baptist, when he starts yelling in the wilderness, like, stuff's going to happen. And it maybe is not going to be super pretty. But how do we find the joy in the midst of that? I mean, that's 
in the light, not in the light. That's well, the incarnation, right? Light only exists yes. because darkness exists. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what kind of happens in none is there is this war and a lot of people do die. Um, in fact, mine has my version of the Bible has pretty exact number, 500 men. Um, but Esther goes to the king and says, let them have a day to do what they want to do. Let them have a day of joy and celebration. And what happens is this festival happens, which is now a big part of Jewish culture. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming this is when this was established for the Jewish people. Um, and so even again, like we were saying in that midst of death, there was also celebration. You know, we're Easter people. When we do funerals, I did a funeral yesterday. When we do funerals, we look, you know, we celebrate their life. Yes, there's mourning in that. Yes, there's sadness in that. But there's also celebration that this person was a good and faithful servant and did everything they needed to do on their time in earth. And now they get to rejoice in the heavenly kingdom. And I think sometimes people who haven't been a part, like especially of the Episcopal liturgy, are sometimes like, wow, that was really uplifting. And I'm like, well, it's supposed to be. We're Easter people. We, we, we don't live in Good Friday. We, we live in the resurrection, as you were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, our description of, of the burial liturgy says that it finds all its hope and meaning in the resurrection. Right. When grandma dies, when loved ones, it's sad, it's heartbreaking, and we grieve like it. Sucks. And we should grieve. We should. we should. Don't hear me yeah. say don't grieve. I'm not. Yeah, saying. I mean, our instructions about the service say that does not make grief unchristian. Right. Even the fact that we know about resurrection, all of it, that doesn't make Christian grief or that doesn't make grief unchristian because we have to go through that. That's human reaction to things. That's synapses in our brain. That's our body. All of this, no matter what we can tell ourselves about the hope in the future, it's going to suck and it's going to hurt. But we do that as as people that live on the other side of Jesus and have that hope within us. Yeah. So uh, this festival, um, the festival of Purim, I think I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, they had all these events and celebration that was happening. And um, that is kind of cool. Like we said, that this sort of something came out of it. Um, okay. You're going to, you might think I'm crazy, but um, you probably, you already do. Think I'm crazy, but Okay, so I am a big Jen Hatmaker fan. Um, I, I know Alan knows about Jen Hatmaker. Maybe we could, we could, um, link her stuff, but she's doing this season, um, of this podcast right now. And the season is all, it's all about the holidays and how to prepare and, and what we do. And, and one of the things I've really gained from it is that celebrations might look different as time goes on, as children grow up, traditions might change. But is that the worst thing in the world? You know, maybe it invites for something new. And I, I kind of thought about Jen Hatmaker, Jen Hatmaker as I was thinking about this, because out of all this war and destruction, something new came about that is still important today to the Jewish people, you know? And so again, that change is not necessarily a bad thing. It only brings on 
new traditions and new goodness. Um, so I really like the way Jen has been talking about that. I don't know if she was thinking about Esther, but that we, we don't have to get caught up. I mean, you've talked about this, Alan, your life is going to look different this year, right? You know, you've been through a change in your life. Is that the worst thing in the world? No, new traditions are going to be started and that's a good thing, right? Yeah, um, right. Like all attest to that in some way, shape or form, right? Yeah. I mean, it happens. Life happens and things hurt and, and suck. And so like I had my first Thanksgiving without the boys because they, they were with their mom, which is lovely because they got to spend time with Poppy and with their cousins and all of that. Right. And so it looks different for them. It looks different for me. And so how this is a good example, like in the midst of whatever junk I'm dealing with, I can also rejoice that my kids had that experience the day before they got to do a fun thing with my family and then that, and it looks different. That doesn't make it bad. That just makes it real and human. And so we re I was talking about this yesterday in Christian formation um, or on Sunday, sorry, we record on Monday. And so if y'all hear this on Thursday, you probably think we're weird on Sunday in Christian formation, right? Some Episcopalians in general get really bent out of shape when you start talking about Christmas Mm -hmm. um, during Advent. And I get it, right? Like we don't sing Christmas carols on Sunday morning. But if you want to sing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, starting on Thanksgiving, please do it. Because, right, like God's got bigger things to worry about than policing Christmas. And it's things that bring us joy. Life sucks for a lot of people. And if like going to the mall and hearing Bing Crosby is what you want to do, if you want to go sit on Santa's lap at Bass Pro Shop, Yes, because we get to make our traditions in the midst of a fallen and broken world that help us understand the joy of Christmas. And if we start saying, no, no, we can't put our Christmas tree decorations up until Christmas Day, because that's when Christmas starts. We have seriously um, missed the forest for the trees. So I think think you're right. And I think Jen would totally agree with you. Okay, so at Church of the Resurrection, for years and years and years, they had this big um, lessons and carols during the Advent season. And it was a big deal all over town. Everybody came. And, of course, during the pandemic, we had to stop that. And so what we started doing, now we don't do it till like, December 18th, like the Sunday, but the last Sunday of Advent. But um, we do Christmas carols and cocoa. Now, we are singing Christmas hymns before December 24th, but everybody loves it. And it we decorate the church and, you know, all of that. And everybody loves it. And who cares that we're not singing Advent hymns? Like, everybody's okay with that. And they're enjoying themselves. I was also thinking about you and I and other priests. Like, when you become a priest, you don't really get Christmas anymore. You're like part of putting on the show and putting on the magic and and giving the people you love and care for Christmas. And that's okay. I'm more than happy to do that. I really am. Um, But I try to go do something for Thanksgiving with my family because I'm I'm not going to be able to do that at Christmas. And again, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I, I want to. Um, but that means I miss the Thanksgiving Day run here at the church. I miss, you know, we don't have a Thanksgiving Day service, but I have served in other sh- churches that do 
but that's okay to miss those things so that I can be here and be present at Advent and Christmas time, you know? So when I, I became a priest, my Christmas experience somewhat changed. I mean, it's always been weird because my dad's a priest as well, but like, it's different. It's different. I'm at the church on Christmas day doing a service. I'm not sitting around the Christmas tree in my pajamas, you know? Um, and that's okay. I'm happy to do that. But it looks different for lots of people and we need to embrace those things. And that's what happened right here in Esther and yeah. with a little help from Jen. <laughs> no, and I think even in Esther, right? Like I was doing a little bit of reading on Paul Rome or how, I'm sorry if I'm butchering how you pronounce that. Um, Somebody tell us. Somebody tell yeah. us. Someone, if we get it wrong, please correct us. Um, but like the idea is that this was a pre-existing holiday celebration um, that the Jewish people kind of claimed, right? Which Christmas, right? <laughs> Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> this is maybe a pagan holiday in which Christians have said, hey, we need to do something in the middle of winter. Let's do this. That's great. And so now we have the w- culture has done that with Christmas, right? And Christmas has become something culturally a lot bigger than the, just the birth of Jesus, right? Maybe that makes me a bad priest for saying that. But, right, like, it's what we do. Nut, so, I'm getting nutcrackers out in my house, by oh, the way. Oh, I've got them out. We decorated. And my son that that has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. So. But, but how do we find God's present in all of this, right? Like, Paul's pretty clear at the Areopagus, right? Like, God is present and people's struggling to find gods in other things, right? The tomb to the unknown gods. Paul was like, what you worship there, I worship this. And let me tell you about it. And these two, like, Paul has some words to say about that. But I think about that is like we find our own meaning, right? Like, yeah, Christmas Day is a work day. And so my boys get to wake up early, you know, and then um, open some presents. But then I haul them to church and we have to do that thing. And they're, and they're probably the acolytes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Sunday this year. And so there may actually be people there. I'm actually prepared for it to be just me and my boys. And that'll be lovely, right? And it's prepared for that myself. Yeah. But the people and, show up because they need a place to go on Christmas Day. And that's why yeah. we do, right? Yeah. And here, you know, this is my plug for when Christmas happens for me. I had a mentor when um, I was first, actually, when I was in discernment, when I was still um, a lay person before seminary, said, you know, Alan, like Christmas and Easter are work days. And it's hard to experience that when you're helping others to experience it. And so he said to me, he was like, the incarnation and the resurrection will happen for you, but it's not going to happen on Christmas and Easter. And so find those. And so for me, like maybe I shared this last year. For me, I can tell you the key change in a concert in which the incarnation happens for me every single year. And this year it's going to happen next Monday. I'm flying to Nashville to go to a concert that I've seen in cities all around the country, wherever I've lived. It's Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God. It's an Advent and Christmas concert. And at the end, like it tells the whole story from like Abraham to Moses all the way through. And at the end, there's this song and there's this time that like that's like I get chills thinking about it. And that, again, every time I've seen it, I've had, you know, my family with me this year. That looks different. And so I'm going to be by myself. I get to go to 
the Ryman Auditorium, which is a place that I've always wanted to go to in Nashville. And um, so like we find those ways to have that happen. You did things over Thanksgiving. Me, I'm bought plane tickets to fly somewhere to be there for 12 hours and fly back because we have to find those ways to celebrate joy, even in the midst of, of a crazy time, sometimes a sad and hard time, um, but time yeah. that needs to be redeemed. So I've got some good news for our Greenwood listeners. The concert that um, Alan is talking about is going to be in Augusta, which is just about 60 miles from here. So Alan, be sure and link that as well. I'm trying to get tickets myself only because Alan has introduced me to this and has told me about it and has said, how much this is important to him. And so I'm like, well, as his friend, I feel like I need to experience this too. And maybe that'll be when my Christmas starts, but they are coming to Augusta as well. So that'll be awesome. And I'm excited about that. Okay. We finish up Esther with chapter 10, which um, in mine says the greatness of Xerxes and Mordecai. So there was this little part of me, that was like, why does it not say the greatness of Esther? Okay. I will. Uh, because will patriarchy. Say, yes. I will say there was this little part of me, but Mordecai had a lot to do with, um, you know, what happened in this particular book of the Bible. And so, you know, I am thankful he is getting honored. And so he was honored and well liked by his fellow Jews and he worked for the good of the people. But I think it, we would be remiss not to say that Esther worked really hard for the good of the people as well. And I was so thankful last week, Anne Alexis was on, and she was just telling me how much Esther was such a big part of her life and her study and, and what she's being discerning towards. And I had just never thought of it that way. So Esther looks different for me now, and I'm, I'm thankful for her words. So, okay. I wanted to ask you, we've got a few few times before we get into Job, but Job is next. And I know it may feel funny talking about Job, like during the Advent and the Christmas season or whatever, but because everybody's like, oh, Job. And aren't there like funny jokes about like, oh, don't be a Job, you know, that kind of thing. But I think we've got some things to learn from Job, and I'm excited about what's to come and that. And we can't help the calendar. That's just when it fell. But we do have some guests to help us through, and I think they're going to bring a different light to Job, and I'm excited about that. Um, so that's happening in the coming weeks. Yeah. So, how we doing? We did it. Got we did through it. it. We wrapped up Esther. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are praying for you all um, this Advent season, listeners. And as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does.